Last week I introduced to those gathered the statistic that every day on an average we make approximately 35,000 choices. So according to that math, you're about halfway through the day, so already you've made, I should have done the math where I made that statement. I know you've made half of 35,000 of those choices. (laughs) What is it? Thank you, 17.5. Yes. Guess who does the checkbook in our house? (laughs) And we never deal with 35,000, I can tell you that. This just highlights us to the reality that decisions have to be made in life. Some of them are normal. Some of them are everyday garden variety decisions, like what socks you're going to wear, what clothes you're going to wear. Some of them are a little bit more significant. Some of them could be considered defining moments in our life. And even as a faith community, we have decisions to make. And we typically make those at monthly meeting for business. Some of these are fairly mundane. How are we going to paint the wall? What color are we going to use? Do we get new carpet? Some of them are significant. Some of them can even be a defining moment for us, for our life together and our journey as a faith community. And I've alluded to the fact that even our own yearly meeting, I would at least consider, has some very defining moment decisions that they will be making this coming weekend. So, I do think it behooves us to know what goes into decision-making process that opens us up to the Spirit of God and helps us navigate these key moments in our life. And I want to make this one statement as I say that. This is the thing that I have to keep remembering for me, and I offer it to you, that God has our best interest at heart. God really has our best interest at heart. This is not a cat-and-mouse game that God plays with us. This is not cheese at the end of a maze. We open up the wrong door and somehow God says, oh, sorry, wrong door. God really does have our best interest at heart. That doesn't mean I'm always going to make the best choice. Probably not. Does it always mean that the choices that I make are going to work out the way that I thought they're going to work out? They certainly won't. Even in my own personal life, they have not always worked out that way. I'll share that in a moment. We have these key moments in our personal life, deciding on a particular job or vocation. I thought for sure when I got out of college, and right after my master's degree at Earlham School of Religion, I thought for sure the next thing I was going to be doing was going for a PhD. I even had schools that I had named and I had listed that I was going to go to. Somewhere along the way, we don't have enough time to cover this, but somewhere along the way, I made a different choice. I don't regret that choice. But I made a different choice based partly on maybe it not feeling like something I could do to someone who influenced me. And whether it was the one I should have listened to, I don't really know. But it didn't work out the way I thought it would, but here I am. Now, would I trade it in for that? Absolutely not. I am where I am because I want to be in this place. And I'm glad that God has called me here and this is where I need to be. But sometimes life changes. A relationship, and what direction should it go? Or should we marry? There's that other decision that sometimes changes. Some of you may not know, but I was, Linda was not my first engagement. I was actually engaged before I met Linda. And that didn't fall, uh, that didn't pan out. I don't know how to put that. It didn't work out. All right, she dropped me. How's that? She did, like a rock. But three months later, I met Linda, and I would not have changed that for anything else in the world. So the decisions and the plans that we thought were going to happen 
don't often happen. Doesn't mean that's a bad thing, but they do change. And we find ourselves in a different place than what we thought we would. Where do I go to school? What should my focus be? What about my time, my gifts, my talents? How do I spend money and steward my possessions? Should I move or should I stay? And then there's key moments in our life together as a meeting. Decisions around vision and mission, choosing between one direction over another. Sometimes it involves our budget, how we spend our money at present. And again, I've invited us to be in prayerful thought as to how we choose to be engaged and involved with our yearly meeting, North Carolina yearly meeting. So we're in a season of discernment. Maybe you are in one in your own life right now. I don't know. But I would say this. If you aren't right now, at some point you will be. You will not go through life without, without not having to make a decision. If you do that, you're going to be pretty well stuck in one place for the rest of your life. So at some point you will face that moment in that time. So what's common for all of us, there are these moments, and our life together, we have these moments, decision-making moments. And it's in those moments that we want to make the best decision possible and one that is in alignment with God's will. Now, I don't say that phrase lightly, in alignment with God's will. I don't say that just as a cliche. I think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane at the very final hours of his life as he is in prayer and he utters this prayer to God. And I'm paraphrasing, God, if there were any other way we could do this, But then he utters this, but not my will, but your will be done. In other other words, Jesus' ultimate desire was to make sure that his life and everything he did was in alignment with God's purposes for him and for creation. And so it matters the kind of worldview we have. It matters the kind of backdrop to our life that we have. Is the backdrop and worldview from which I approach my from which I approach my decisions, what is it of? And we all have to make that choice. That's the first choice we have to make, by the way. What is the backdrop on the worldview from which we operate? Mine is, I hope my decisions and choices operate from a place of doing and aligning myself with God's purposes and God's reign and God's kingdom and what that looks like here on earth. Do I always get it right? Absolutely not. But the nice thing about decisions is we can learn from them both the good and the bad. I've always appreciated how author Erwin McManus puts it this way when he talks about moments and decisions. He writes this, quote, While moments are the context with which we live, choices will chart the course and determine the destination. And then he adds this, Life is the sum total of what you do with the moments given you. Now think about that. 1143... Is that right? Gosh, i got to go back to school. 11.48. 11.48, Sunday, August 7th. Your life essentially is a sum total of all the choices you've made right to this point. Some choices have been made for you. Some circumstances you couldn't change, obviously. But even in circumstances, you responded, didn't you? You made choices in response to circumstances. Our life is a sum total. Our choices matter those moments matter. I want to talk first about the various experiences of God speaking and directing, because I think language helps. What does it look like in terms of how God speaks and interacts? Trevor Hudson, who's a a, a Methodist pastor and writer, has this to say about God speaking and us listening. He writes this, 
I can summarize what I've learned about listening to God in one particular insight. However God chooses to speak to us through a sudden memory, a strong feeling, a flash of insight, the words of a friend, the mysteries of creation, or most often the Bible, God's voice in our experience usually takes the shape of a certain kind of thought. Images, hunches, intuitions, concepts, ideas. And I say that to say it's so important to realize that I think God speaks to us in a language native to who we are. I really believe that. I've said this before, but I'll say it again in a very simplistic image. I wish so much that God would speak to me like the planes carrying the banners at Myrtle Beach. You know, just something would flash across the sky. Do this. Got it, God. I'm on that. Do this. Got it, God. I'm on that. If it were just that clear, if it were just that clear, if it were that clear, then according to the signs, I'd be going to Wings to buy souvenirs all the times there at Myrtle Beach. But that's not how God operates. God often gives us insights, gives us thoughts and ideas. In the Scripture, it talks about how Nehemiah writes in the Old Testament, what God had put into my heart. I love that imagery. God puts something in our heart, kind of places a thought. I love in Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem council. They're trying to make this decision between the Gentiles and the Jewish people, and do we bring them together, and do we open up Christianity, if you will, at that point to the Gentiles? And this is a big deal. This is a big council. This is like, uh, this is like yearly meeting on steroids, if you will. This is huge. And I'll never forget what I read one day as it said in Acts 15. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and us. There seems some wiggle room in that word seem, doesn't it? But even in their humanity, they're saying, we don't know if we have it completely right, but it just feels right. The Holy Spirit is saying this, welcome the Gentiles in. And then I love the story of Samuel in 1 Samuel, where he hears God's voice three times, not knowing right away that it's God speaking. And he goes to his mentor, if you will, Eli, three times and says, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And after the third time, Eli says, look, it's not me. It's God. Now, what I've always taken that is this. Sometimes I mistake other people's voice in my life for God's. And sometimes I just need to make sure I'm listening to God speak and how God is guiding me and directing me. Now, how do friends, how do Quakers use language? Well, Quakers will often use the word leadings. Quakers use this word to describe a sense that they're being required or led to do something. It may feel like a nudge. It may feel like a prompting. But often Quakers will say, I have a leading. It's like you're being led forward into into something. Quakers will talk about openings. Friends use this word to describe a fresh insight into some aspect of truth. George Fox often talked about having openings of Scripture that he never had before. You've had those. You read a scripture that you've read over and over and over again. You read it one more time, and boom, what happens? Something opens up to you that you've never seen or heard before. And then Quakers often talk about a concern. A concern is a burden placed upon a person's heart. And often early friends had these concerns, and they had openings, and they had leadings, and they would come together in their own business meetings. They would come together in worship, and they would share these leadings. They would share these concerns. They would share these, these burdens, if you will. They would put it before the meeting, and they would say, what is God speaking to us through this? I would love for all of us to be able to feel free 
Just say, God has shared this leading with me. It doesn't even have to make sense, but we're willing to share it with one another. We're willing to share our concerns. God has put this concern upon my heart. Or God has given me this opening, and I want to share it, that we as a faith community do that together. Now, sometimes, and I want to share this quick example, sometimes it may not seem even that mystical to do discernment work. Sometimes we just have to do a good old-fashioned pro-con list, and we step back and take a look and say, okay, one side looks more than the other. And I say that to say that's what I did one time when I made one of the most significant moves in my life, our life. 1995, early 1995, I got the call to see if I wanted to pastor our Still Friends meeting. Got a call from my friend Randy Raines. I was at a conference in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I knew a couple things. First of all, that I felt very strong to come to Archdale. Second, coming to Archdale would mean moving 600 miles away and taking two young grandkids away from two sets of grandparents. That was the biggest thing I was more concerned about. So I skipped the afternoon conference. I skipped the afternoon session, and I went back to my room because I knew what I was feeling. I knew that I was feeling led, that this was the right thing to do. This was the time to make the move. But all I could do in my best ability was I took a piece of paper, and on one side I put pro, and on one side I put con. And I simply wrote down all the advantages of going, and I wrote down all the disadvantages. And I got to tell you, after I got done, after about 20, 30 minutes, I looked at that and I said, we got a problem here. Which side do you think was longest? The advantages. The pro side. I stayed in my room the rest of the afternoon trying to make up stuff on the other side because this was not a conversation I wanted to have with my family. But when I looked at that side, I realized I can't get away from this. This is what it needs to be. Sometimes it's not that mystical. Sometimes we know. Sometimes we just need that confirmation by putting it down in front of us to know what we already know and to make that choice. So what does this leave us? Where do I want to add to this as we kind of wind this down in deciding and discerning? I want to offer just a few statements this, in this way. First is this. Receiving direction and making decisions is part of an ongoing, deepening friendship with God. It's not something we just pull up when we need it and then neglect when everything is going well. In other words, how am I nurturing this ongoing conversation with God? Yeah, for years... I needed God to bail me out. I needed a decision when I didn't know what to do, but I had never nurtured that relationship before. How am I continually nurturing this friendship with God so on an ongoing basis I'm listening, I'm speaking, I'm listening, I'm speaking, God and I are having this ongoing conversation. I think the second thing is this. State clearly to yourself the issue that needs a decision and then approach it from a variety of angles, seeking all the light and discernment you can get. Look at the pros and cons. Invite insight from trusted friends. Look at all the advantages and disadvantages. And listen to your heart. Listen to those moments of peace, those moments of calmness. Listen to the moments in your heart that seem like this just doesn't feel right. This just doesn't seem right. You know what that feels like. Friends have a wonderful process called the Clearness Committee where we invite people to ask us questions about decisions. They don't give us answers. They just ask us questions to help us think about things that maybe we haven't been thinking about. The third is this, through all of this process, always keep an openness to God's will and direction and guidance. In other words, 
Sometimes I just have to let go of preconceived outcomes and directions, and that is my growing edge. I often think I know how this all needs to turn out. I often think I know what needs to be done. And I just need God to get everybody in line. I just need God to get everybody on the same page as me because it's very clear to me. Now, friends, I'm being facetious. Sometimes I'm not being facetious, but I am in this moment. But what I have learned, the hardest thing for me is this, is to let go of the outcomes, is literally to give it to God, to listen for insight, to listen for direction, to take whatever steps I need to take, but then I let go of outcomes. Because remember what I said earlier? God has what? God really does have your best interest at heart. God has your loved one's best interest at heart. God has your friend's best interest at heart. God has deep river friend's best interest at heart. And sometimes I just have to let go of the outcomes and say, I know up to what point I need to do. Now, God, you take care of the rest. And then the last thing I would just simply say is sometimes we just have to make a decision and do something. Doing nothing can be a decision, but doing something will actually help us take a step, even if just a little step. Acting on the best light that you have at the time that you begin to make that decision. Sometimes just choosing a direction that involves simply going with what little light we have and just what trust in God that we have. One of my favorite verses, it's very small, it's in Hebrews eleven eight. Abraham, it says about Abraham this very simple phrase. Abraham obeyed God when he was called to go to a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. But this is the part I want us to catch. He went without knowing where he was going. I want to know exactly where I'm going. I want to know exactly how it's going to turn out. I want to know exactly what's going to happen at the end. But sometimes God just says, just take this step. You don't have to know where you're going. When you're driving on a road at night with the headlights on, your headlights only go so far down the road. If I'm driving from here to Burlington at night, the lights don't go all the way to Burlington. The lights go just far enough to help me get down the road just far enough to keep me going down that road. Sometimes we just have to keep taking next steps into the light that we have to be able to see what the next step is and the next step is and the next step is. Carolyn Fox was a Quaker back in the 1800s in a moment of real struggle with her, spirit, her own spiritual life, and she wrote this. As she was sitting in meeting for worship and she struggled with knowing what to do, and she heard these words from God, quote, I seemed to hear the words articulated in my spirit. Live up to the light that thou hast, and more will be granted thee. Live up to the light that you have at this point. As you live up to that, as I live up to it, and I take whatever step I feel led to take, more light will be granted. God assures that. And God will give us enough light to take the next step and the next step. What if I have no idea what I'm doing? What if I have no idea where I'm going? What do I do then? Well, let me close with this prayer. This is a prayer from Thomas Merton. He's a monk uh, since deceased from about 20, 30 years ago. It's actually a very famous prayer. In fact, some of you, I think, have probably even posted it. I know you've read it. I know you've heard it. But in case you haven't, let me close with this prayer. It starts this way. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. Are you hooked yet? All right. 
Here's the prayer. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself, and the fact that I think that I am following your will does not mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have the desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire, and I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore will I trust you always. Though I may seem to be lost, and in the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Sometimes we know. Sometimes we have no idea. But in all things, it's good. Because God does go with us. And God will always be with us. And God always has our best interests at heart.